The reading can be found on page 202 and is taken from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 24, beginning to read at the 10th verse. So that's Deuteronomy 24, verse 10. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbour, do not go into his house to get what he is offering as a pledge. Stay outside and let the man to whom you are making the loan bring the pledge out to you. If the man is poor, do not go to sleep with his pledge in your possession. Return his cloak to him by sunset so that he may sleep in it. Then he will thank you, and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. Do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy, whether he is a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before sunset, because he is poor and is counting on it. Otherwise he may cry to the Lord against you, and you will be guilty of sin. Fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their fathers. Each is to die for his own sin. Do not deprive the alien or the fatherless of justice, or take the cloak of the widow as a pledge. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. When you are harvesting in your field, and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. Leave it for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. When you beat the olives from your trees, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. When you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, perhaps I was about to go up into space like an alien, <laughs> having just been mentioning this. Let's pray as we sit. Lord, send forth your light and your truth. Let them lead us for Jesus' sake. Amen. The alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Those groups of people were mentioned four times in just 13 verses in our reading from the Old Testament, with an extra fifth mention for the aliens, not meaning creatures from outer space, but non-Jews living amongst the Israelites, we might say foreigners or strangers. The alien, the fatherless, and the widow, or strangers, orphans and widows. Not just in Deuteronomy chapter 24, but many times in the Old Testament, God's um, people were told to look out for them. 
to provide for their needs and not to take advantage of their vulnerability. God himself is described in the Psalms as the one who has a special care for strangers, orphans and widows. And when prophets such as Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and Zechariah spoke about God's judgment coming upon the Israelites and how they'd go into exile, it was not only for their religious idolatry, but also for their neglect and mistreatment of these vulnerable groups of people. It may seem strange to go right back to Israel before the exile, 550 BC and earlier, for our Bible reading on the topic of looking out for the vulnerable in our series on being good news for our community. But that time before the exile to Babylon was the last period in the times covered by the Bible when the prophets, when the people of God had complete control over their affairs and the way they ran their society. After they returned from that exile, the Jews were dominated by one empire after another, the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans, and their own religious laws could be overruled. And then when it came to the earliest Christians, well, very few of them held positions of any influence in their society or in the Roman Empire. Just one or two that perhaps mentioned because they stood out as different from the others and many of them even slaves. So they were in no position to affect the way that the countries were ruled or to change the laws. And so perhaps that's why the writers of the New Testament tend to concentrate more on individual personal behavior or just what went on within the Christian community rather than on uh, wider issues to over whom the early Christians had no influence or very little. For example, in Acts chapter 6, we read about the church in Jerusalem making arrangements for widows, for the fair treatment of Jewish widows and Greek, Gentile, Greek-speaking widows in their equivalent of food banks, sharing out food to those in need. And of course, the principles of Jesus' teaching about God's kingdom of love and of justice have inspired later Christians to work for change in their societies. They still do. But there's no blueprint for Christian laws in the New Testament itself. So we can still learn then from how the Jews were told to look after the vulnerable groups in their society, even though those Old Testament laws don't apply to us directly as Gentiles living in the New Testament era. So do please keep open that uh, passage, Deuteronomy chapter 24 on page 202 in the Pew Bibles on the, in the sort of second column on that page 202. And I'm going to pick out various things from verses in it, which I think show principles of the way that we can look after the vulnerable today. And the first thing I notice in verse 10, where we started, is that the Jewish people were told to take care to respect the dignity of people who were vulnerable. When you make a loan of any kind to your neighbour, do not go into his house to get what he's offering as a pledge, as a security for the loan. Stay outside and let the man to whom you're making the loan bring the pledge out to you. You see, it still applies today. Just because we're trying to help people, it doesn't mean we can go into their house uninvited or ring up at inconvenient times or intrude upon their personal space in other ways. 
when I see documentaries about the police or the ambulance services, I'm impressed by the respectful way they address those who've got themselves into some extraordinary messes. And I hope it isn't just because they're being filmed. And it reminds me to avoid being offhand or patronising towards people who have a low enough opinion of themselves already. Then look, look at verse 12. In a way, that's about the limits on what should be taken as security for these loans. It says, uh, if the man is poor, do not go to sleep with his pledge in your possession. Return his cloak to him by sunset so that he may sleep in it. And presumably you went then round, went, then went round to the house next morning and sort of took hold of the coat as a sort of a security again and gave it back again in the evening until uh, the money was repaid. But it's a balancing of principles, isn't it? The principle of our rights to our own property isn't allowed to override the principle that no one should be deprived of the essentials of daily life, however poor they may be. In our society, we try to do that by setting a minimum wage. But we still need to do more to ensure that everyone hasn't just got a, a cloak to cover themselves up with at night, but a roof over their heads as well. And locally, we can help to do that by supporting Open Door and Taunton Association for the Homeless. And elsewhere in Taunton, there are Christians based both at St. James's Church in town and the Vineyard Church, who are involved in giving advice to those who have problems with debt. And I'm sure that Adrian or Julie in the office could put you in touch if you or someone you know has financial worries and are trying to sort out how to, uh, to cope with them. The end of verse 13 reminds us that God sees how we treat those who are in debt, as well as the person who's grateful for being spared from a night out in the cold. Verse 13, then he will thank you and it will be regarded as a righteous act in the sight of the Lord your God. Then on to verses 14 and 15. Well, there the focus is on paying wages on time. Do not take advantage of a hired man who is poor and needy, whether he's a brother Israelite or an alien living in one of your towns. Pay him his wages each day before sunset, because he is poor and counting on it. Otherwise, he may cry out to the Lord against you and you will be guilty of sin. I mean, there are still many parts of the world where people are simply paid by the day and they need that money to buy the food to keep their family going for that very day. But it's still important to, to pay our debts, pay people who work for us um, on time. As the church treasurer, well, that's my responsibility. And I think it's important to, that we pay promptly, not so just leaving it till the end of the 30 days or whatever is on the invoice especially when we're dealing perhaps with small firms and the self-employed. But it also affects our witness to larger firms. Um, when we were building the community centre, I think that one of our consultants was quite surprised when we reminded them to send us a bill for the last part of their fees that they seemed to have forgotten about. Um, and that, in fact, was over a year after the building was finished when they'd sort of made sure there weren't any loose ends that needed to be tidied up. But paying a fair price is also important on a global scale. And we're grateful to Gill and Anne Bird for continuing to remind us of the importance of fair trade. Then we go on to verse 16, which might not seem relevant, having abolished the capital punishment over 50 years ago in this country, and where I'm glad to say we don't have, or in general, don't have that sort of um, 
thing of family vendettas like you get in some societies in some parts of the world. I think that's what it's getting at in verse 16 when it says, fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their fathers. Each is to die for his own sin. But there are still many areas today where children suffer for the sins and failings of their parents, whether financially or by the reputation they inherit. And we need to guard against insensitive words and attitudes that label children on account of the way that their parents choose to live. Verse 17 may speak directly to the current situation of child refugees. Do not deprive the alien, the foreigner, or the fatherless of justice. It's important that each individual case is heard and is heard quickly. It may be possible to help in this country. I know that there's a um, there is some support for some Syrian refugees happening in, in Somerset through the churches that's just, of, I think it's just about being put into practice now. But it may be decided that help can be provided more effectively near the refugees' country of origin and with more chance they'll eventually be able to return home in safety. The practicalities, well, we have to judge what's right. But the principle of having justice for even those who are um, foreigners or can't really argue their own case, is important. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. That is why I command you to do this. That's what verses 18 and verse 22 say about the motivation that the Israelites were to have for helping the strangers, orphans and widows. We can easily become unsympathetic towards the vulnerable, if we fail to see how we or perhaps previous generations in our families have been in similar situations themselves. Don't know if any of you watch those uh, programs about people you know, finding out about their ancestors. There seem to be two or three series um, going on at any one time. The most moving pro moments in those programs are often when the people who are very successful today see evidence of the distressing circumstances in which their ancestors lived. Perhaps when they look through the, the records of workhouses, that sort of thing in the 19th century. It's probably an inevitable side effect of any social welfare system like ours that it produces a sense of entitlement that can in some cases undermine the will to work. But there's another sense of entitlement that's unjustified. That's the, on the global scale, the unjustified sense of entitlement that we have in our own rich Western societies, where somehow we feel that we deserve our comparatively high standard of living, whatever its impact on the rest of the world. Then again, we may be tempted to be judgmental about the way some people have contributed towards their own problems. In that case, we need to remember that we too have been redeemed, means bought back, not of course from slavery in Egypt, but, but from spiritual slavery and spiritual death. Rather, let's say to ourselves those traditional words, there but for the grace of God go I, and really mean it. Then perhaps we'll be more ready to adopt the more generous attitude that's encouraged there in verses 19 to 21. When you are harvesting in your field and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back to get it. 
Leave it for the alien, the fatherless and the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And then there's the same principle in verse 20 about beating the olives off your trees, shaking your apple trees, the pears and so on. You know, I suppose the idea is that you, you, know, you, you collect what falls and then you just leave others for people to go through your garden and pick up on their way by. And uh, similarly with grapes in verse 21. Um, interesting, isn't it? You're allowed to go into the vineyard and uh, pick up. Apparently, you will, I've, I've looked one of the other passages on this and as long as you didn't take a basket with you, you were allowed to go in and help yourself to the grapes in someone else's vineyard. It's not the sort of attitude we have to our gardens these days, though anyone is welcome to anything they may find growing in mine. <laughs> anything of any value, anyway. Um, yes. You see, the idea was the well-off farmer was being told not to extract the maximum income just for himself, but to give those who had no land of their own the opportunity to share in a good harvest but to share in a way that gave them the, the dignity of providing for their families by their own efforts in gathering the grain, the olives and the grapes. I suppose we do something similar in our society when we make it possible for those with caring responsibilities to have flexible working hours or when English lessons are provided to immigrants to help them get a job. And here in Charlotte, I don't know if you're aware, in the, in the Hive Cafe, they have a, a couple of arrangements with a couple of organisations that are helping people to get work experience, either because they've just you know, tried to get jobs over time, just haven't had any success, or perhaps they've got something that makes it harder for them in their education or in their background to, to get jobs. And so they, they come to the, the hive, they're shown how to, to do things, and uh, it's not so much they'll necessarily get a job then in a cafe, a paid job somewhere else, but getting used to the idea of you know, turning up regularly on time, um, just general um, courteousness, and, and, and perhaps in the courage to, to, to greet people, and then with um, very caring, sensitive people elsewhere in the cafe hall, sort of encourage them and say, you know, well done, that's, you've cleaned that very well, or encourage them to, to, you know, to go out of their way to, to speak to people. It's all part of a step towards getting into employment, not just to receive what they need, but to um, work for it themselves and have the dignity of doing that. But is it just strangers, orphans, and window, widows? I guess windows for a moment. <laughs> uh, they're more vulnerable All Saints Holkin than All Saints Trial. Strangers, orphans, and widows who are vulnerable today. In Old Testament times, their needs stood out as they had no land of their own and no one to provide for them. Well, in our society, we have pensions and benefits and social services, even if they're all under greater pressure at the moment. As Christians, we're called to speak up for those who find it harder to stand up for themselves or whose voices have little influence over those who have financial muscle or political power. We may feel that our own voices carry little weight, but we can still make a little difference, even on a smaller scale. I've already mentioned things that we're doing here or that at Taunton churches are doing about debt and homelessness and fair trade. Was it just two weeks ago we heard about um, BSOM, how volunteers can help with people um, who are finding hard to, to manage their, perhaps their homes, gardens, that sort of thing, practical projects. It could also, I could also mention 4040, who support families of Royal Marines when they're posted away from home. And uh, when listening to the, the prayers that David and, and Liz were leading us in a moment ago, all sorts of other groups of 
vulnerable people in our society and across the world we heard about um, in them and were praying for. Of course, we can't all be involved in everything. One of the difficulties of hearing about these different groups is that sometimes we get almost weighed down with the number of different uh, uh, problems there are in the world around us. But we can encourage those who are doing these things and take an interest in how they're going. But also, I think we can think, who are the strangers and orphans and widows that we might know and perhaps for whom we're their only Christian contact? The aliens or strangers aren't only foreigners of whom there aren't as many in Somerset as in many parts of the country, though we should still, of course, be welcoming to them. It may just be people who are new to the area that we need to look out for. In a way, orphans and widows stand for all those who are on their own, of whatever generation. Children and young people who are left out socially or feel that they are being deliberately excluded. Students who are away from home or those who've moved here for work reasons and don't yet feel that they belong. Mothers with very young children who feel trapped in their own homes. Single parents who are coping with responsibilities on their own. Older people who are housebound because of their own health or because they're caring full time for someone else. All these different forms of loneliness or coping alone are the modern and local equivalent of the strangers, orphans and widows in Deuteronomy. Most of us have been or will be in similar situations ourselves sometime and maybe to some extent we are at the moment. So we can all look out for those who are alone or left out around where we live and wherever we go throughout the week. So even though there were very different circumstances when Deuteronomy was written and it doesn't apply to us directly as Christians, we can still recognize important principles about looking after the vulnerable and doing so in a way that shows love and respect. It's all part of being good news for our communities, which is the theme of our um, series at the moment. But what's in it for me is a question we hear quite a lot today, whether people are wanting money or recognition or a knighthood for their efforts to help others. I hope we don't hear it so often in church, but it's a question that Jesus didn't mind addressing. And uh, if you'd like to just turn quickly in the New Testament to Luke chapter 14 on page 1048. Page 1048, Luke chapter 14, and just a couple of verses there. Luke 14 and verse uh, 12. Jesus is at a uh, a, a dinner in a, in a fairly rich person's house. He's been invited there with um, some of his um, disciples and he's been um, um, talking to them about uh, all, all sorts of issues. And uh, then he's got on to talking to them about uh, the Sabbath and then about um, a sort of parable about uh, parties and dinners. And then we have these words, verse 12 of Luke 14. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner... Do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Well, it would certainly be an unusual way of working out a guest list for a party. 
At 8 o'clock this morning, there was someone who usually comes to the 11.15 service, and he was saying to me just before the service started that uh, he was there because um, they were having a lot of um, people over for lunch, and his wife presumably was already slaving away in the kitchen. He was going to put in a token appearance, presumably later in the morning. Um, and, uh, but I couldn't resist looking straight at him when it came to this part of the, uh, the parable. And, and as he went out, wondering, saying to him, I wondered whether he was going to look out for any of you know, the equivalent of these categories of people on his way home to, to take them to share in this um, dinner party that uh, he and his wife were, were giving. So I'll find out about that perhaps uh, next week. Um, but of course, what Jesus was really doing was challenging us to think about where we direct our time and resources. Jesus taught several, several times that was a place for rewards in the next life, even if what we should most aspire to is to hear God's commendation, well done, good and faithful servant. But there's also a reward in this life for those who look after the strangers, orphans and widows of today. That reward is that in doing so, we will be sharing God's heart for the vulnerable, sharing God's heart for the vulnerable. And in so doing, we'll be becoming more like Jesus. Just a moment to pause and think of that, and then I'll say a prayer, which is from a hymn by Graham Kendrick. God of the poor, friend of the weak, give us compassion, we pray. Melt our cold hearts, let tears fall like rain. Come, change our love from a spark to a flame, for your glory's sake. Amen.